Welcome to Big Papa Rob's Podcast Story Rewind. I'm Big Papa Rob. Here I rewind the story of a person, place, or thing and tell you where it originated from. As you know, I didn't record a podcast last week, and as you can tell, I'm late releasing this one. That's because this story had so much information, it took me forever to get the story put together. I think you'll really like this one. This story's about a band that sold 75 million records worldwide, holds the record for the most gold albums of any band in the United States at 30 gold albums, and has 14 platinum albums as well. Stick around and see if you can figure out who this band is before I reveal it to you. rewind this story to its earliest beginnings. If you're a diehard fan of this band, you may quickly figure out what band I'm talking about today. Let's start this story with the founding members of this band. One of the founding members was born on August 25, 1949, in Halfia, Israel, to a Jewish immigrants from Hungary. His mother survived Nazi concentration camp at a very early age. She later married a carpenter from Israel, who left the family when this person was six years old. He and his mother immigrated to the United States when he was eight years old. He changed his name at age nine, adopting his mother's last name. He had aspirations of becoming a rabbi, before he started public school and getting into music. Before the band was formed, he worked as an editor at Vogue and spent several months as a sixth-grade instructor. The other founding member of this band was born January 20th, 1952, in Manhattan, New York. His mother and her family fled Nazi Germany to Amsterdam, Netherlands, and then to New York. His father's parents were from Poland. This founding member was also raised Jewish, although he didn't consider his family very observant. They didn't celebrate his bar mitzvah. He was given his first guitar at the age of seven. He played in a couple of other bands before being introduced to the other founding member, These two founding members were part of another band called Wicked Lester in the early 70s. This band fell apart after the band secured a deal with Epic Records and took a year to record the album. Unfortunately, the deal fell through. These two founding members decided to form their own band and went on a search for more band members. They found their drummer through an ad in Rolling Stones in late 1972. The three band members ran an ad in the Village Voice, and they auditioned their lead guitarist in January of 1973. This band played their very first show at a club in Queens, New York, called Popcorn, 
January 30th, 1973, the audience had less than 10 people and the band was paid $50 for two sets. Have you figured out who this band is yet? I usually like to make you wait a little longer, but it's impossible for me to go any further without telling you the name of this band. If you haven't already guessed it, this band is KISS. Founding member born as, and I hope I say this right, Chaim Wids, who at nine changed his name to Gene Klein. His stage name, Gene Simmons, is a tribute to Jumpin' Gene Simmons, another artist. Gene Simmons, a.k.a. The Demon. The other founding member was born Stanley Burt Einstein. He later changed his name to Paul Stanley. Inspiration for his name came from Paul McCartney and Paul Rogers. Paul Stanley, a.k.a. The Star Child. The original drummer, Peter Chris, born George Peter John, I hope I say this right, Chris Gula, he changed his name after he met Simmons and Stanley and couldn't find, I couldn't find any inspiration or tribute for Peter's name in my research. Peter Chris, a.k.a. Catman. The original lead guitarist, Ace Fraley, born Paul Daniel Fraley, changed his name to Ace Fraley when the band decided they didn't need a second Paul. Ace Fraley, a.k.a. The Spaceman. Also over the years, people have spread rumors that KISS stood for Knights in Satan's Service or Kids in Satan's Service. The band has always stated that this was never the true. So let's talk about how the band came up with the name KISS. Gene Simmons wanted to call themselves, well, we'll just say the name started with F and ended in K. Chris mentioned that he played in a band called Lips, so Paul Stanley said, what about Kiss? And everyone agreed. Ace created the lightning bolt in the SS in Kiss, and Stanley perfected it for the logo. Something else I found very interesting. If you ever see the KISS logo for, in Germany, Australia, Israel, and a few other countries, the SSs are not the same logo as you see in the States. That's because it looks too much like the Nazi SS and is banned in many countries. Since the inception of KISS, they didn't want to be just another musical group. They wanted to be a full entertainment show ran like a business. The mastermind behind this concept was Gene Simmons, but all members contributed to the KISS concept. The idea of each member of the band wearing makeup or masks came from the Phantom of the Opera. Gene Simmons came up with the demon persona on the, from the character Monster Year from the movie The Monster from Another Planet and the Marvel character Black Bolt. Paul Stanley came up with his persona, Star Child, because he likes stars in the sky. The makeup style was initially inspired by the classic Western hero, Lone Ranger. Peter Chris came up with the persona, Catman, and I couldn't really find any explanations to why he chose Catman. 
But for whatever reason, he chose this persona. He really identified it because in later years, when he left the band, he repeatedly criticized his ex-bandmates for continuing with someone else playing the character he created. You might ask, like I did, why did they decide to wear makeup? Well, I will tell you it's not the story I heard as a teen. I was told that they were in a talent show and there were several bands and some mime acts and they decided to stand out and got into the mime makeup to make themselves stand out of the crowd. The real story seems to be born out of the glitter scene in New York at the time. From one of the stories I read, their first gig at the Popcorn Club in Queens, they didn't wear makeup. Simmons told the Fanine Popcorn Chop Applesauce in 1996, you know all the skinny little guys, hairless boys? Well, we were more like football players. All of us were over six foot tall, and it just wasn't convincing. The very first pictures we took of the band when we first got together, we looked like drag queens, but we knew we wanted to be outlandish. Ten days after the first gig, they had their makeup and their characters and personas in place. They still worked on the makeup styles starting out. For example, Stanley's first started off with a bandit-style look that finally changed to the infamous star design that we know today. By March 9th, they had the perfected their character's design and played shows at the Daisy in Amityville, New York. On March 13, 1973, the band records their first demo with Eddie Kramer at Electric Lady Studios in New York. This demo included Deuce, Cold Gin, Strutter, Watching You, Black Diamond. By June, they were playing again at Daisy for a two-night show. July, they played their first concert at Hotel Diplomat in New York City. On August 10th, they played their second gig at Hotel Diplomat. During this performance, Bill Alcoin was present for the concert. Bill's background was in cinematography. He saw the potential in the band and told Kiss to give him 30 days and he would get them a recording contract. By September, he had attracted the interest of Niall Bogart, who was starting up a label called Casablanca Records. KISS was the first band to sign to Casablanca Records. Bill moved them into a rehearsal space. By the end of the year, KISS had recorded the infamous first album self-titled KISS. They celebrated New Year's Eve by playing a concert at the Academy of Music in New York City. Some say this was their industry debut. This was the biggest audience they had performed for. They were playing with the likes of Iggy Pop, the Stooges, and the Blue Oyster Cult. This would also be the first time Gene Simmons set his hair on fire while performing his spitting fire on stage. Variety did a review of this show and called Kiss ghoulish, giving them a rating of 4 out of 10. Even though Variety wasn't impressed, Pretty much everyone else was at the show. Many before the night didn't know who Kiss was, but after their historic 30-minute set, it wasn't long before they took over the world.
Back then, Bill put each of the four members on a weekly salary of $75 and urged them to share the profits equally and to put the bill for their first tour on his credit card. Kiss's first tour started February 5th, 1974 in Edmondson, Alberta as an opening act. This is also where Gene Simmons bids his first groupie, a girl with purple and green hair. February 21st, 1974 was their first national TV appearance on ABC. April 29th, the band performed Firehouse on the Mike Douglas Show. This broadcast included Simmons' first television interview, a conversation with Mike Douglas, in which Simmons declared himself evil incarnated, eliciting uncomfortable reactions and from a confused studio audience. Fellow Jewish-American guest Tody Fields said it would be humorous if beneath all the makeup, Simmons was just a nice Jewish boy. Simmons responded, you should only know, to which Fields replied, I do. You can't hide the hook, a reference to the stereotypical Jewish nose. After hearing that, I wonder how uncomfortable Tootie Fields' statements were to Simmons, knowing that he was a Jewish boy. August 1974, Ace was in a car crash while driving drunk in the Hollywood Hills, hitting a telephone pole. Closing out 1974, they did 122 concerts. Kiss's debut LP and its follow-up, Hotter Than Hell, barely broke the Billboard's Top 100. Kiss topped out at 87, and Hotter Than Hell reached 100. Their record sales may not have been the biggest hit, as they had wanted, but their live shows were through the roof. In 1975, the band released Dress to Kill. The album cover had the band dressed in suits in the Chesterdale neighborhood of Manhattan. The album cover was inspired by a story idea of Juan with Cream Magazine. Basically, it goes along the lines of the band being superheroes dressed in a mild-mannered reporter that decides to save the world with rock and roll. This album did get higher on the charts than the last two, reaching 32 on the Billboard charts. By mid-1975, their label Casablanca was almost bankrupt and desperately needed a commercial break if they were to survive. The breakthrough came as double live album Alive this made the top 10 of the Billboard charts at number 9. This helped save Casablanca, and Casablanca became one of the most successful American labels in the 1970s. The double live album Alive reached gold status and spawned Kiss's first top 40 single with live version of Rock and Roll All Night. It was also in 1975 that Bill presented the band with their very first piece of merchandise. After the Double Live album released, it was a tour program. I'll talk more later about Kiss's merchandise. They ended 1975 with 144 concerts that year. One other thing to note about 1975, this was the start of the unofficial fan club Kiss Army. 
Kiss Army was started by Bill Starkley and Jay Evans, two teenagers from Terre Haute, Indiana. These two guys started calling themselves Kiss Army when they started calling the radio stations to play Kiss music and identified themselves as being part of the Kiss fan club. Technically, they didn't become the official fan club till 1976. At its peak, they had nearly 100,000 members and earned $5,000 a day. January 25, 1976, the Kiss on Tour program debuted at a concert in Detroit. The program also included a Kiss Army membership form, as well as information for Kiss merchandise at the time, such as T-shirts and concert book with, and poster. March 15, 1976, the Destroyer album was released. This became Kiss's most commercially successful album. This LP, ranked 11, being the first studio album to break the top 20 on the U.S. charts. The song that was to be the last single for the studio album was Detroit Rock City on the A-side and Beth on the B-side was to be released in July. Detroit Rock City was a flop at the radio stations and the billboards. It failed to even rank in the top 100. Now, obviously, this was a hit song in the Detroit market. Surprisingly to the band, the song Beth on the B-side started being played by the radio stations, and the song started to soar on the charts. By August, they re-released Beth on the A-side, and Detroit Rock City on the B-side. Beth went on to rank number seven on the Billboard charts, reaching gold status and being the first single to reach the top ten for the band. Detroit Rock City was the first Kiss song I ever heard as a young kid. My neighbor at the time had one of those old console stereos that had the disco lights in the speakers. I still remember watching those lights flash on and off at the beginning of that song, and I can't believe that song wasn't more popular back then. Man, the neighbor played that song over and over. The band released another studio album, Rock and Roll Over, that reached 11 on the Billboard charts. They released five singles that year, the most popular one being Beth. The band ended 1976 with 125 concerts under their belt. In 1977, Kiss was presented the People's Choice Award for the single Beth in the Best Song category. They also headlined Madison Square Garden for the first time. In May of 1977, Kiss appeared in their first comic. You might wonder why I titled this episode Mind Mush? Well, Kiss' first appearance in comic books was in issue number 12 of the Marvel's Howard the Duck, May 1977. The issue was titled Mind Mush. Blood from each band member was drawn by a nurse and poured into vats of the red ink and used for the printing for the comic. Kiss's tour of Japan in 1977 breaks the attendance record previously held by the Beatles. By the end of 1977, Kiss played 113 concerts, released one studio album, Love Gun, 
which peaked at number four on the Billboard charts, released a Live 2 live album, which reached seven on the Billboard charts, and released five singles, Dr. Love being the highest ranked at 16 on the Billboard charts. Kiss's gross income for 1977 was $10.2 million. I told you at the beginning there was a lot of information about this band. We only made it to 1977. Come back next week for part two of this story. There is so much more to tell. I tell my stories in hopes that you will gain a deeper understanding of historical origins of many things and the lives of people you may not know their stories. Once again, I'm Big Papa Rob, and this was an independent podcast called Story Rewind. Story Rewind is written, produced, and edited by Big Papa Rob. For a donation to help me cover my operating costs, you can buy me a cup of coffee. You can find the link in my show notes or on my social media pages. Your support would be greatly appreciated. I would appreciate a five-star rating if you listen to my podcast through Apple Podcasts. And finally, if you have a story idea, please contact me through my social media. A link to all my social media accounts is listed in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. Today's music was powerful, stylish stomp rock by Mark July, which can be found on Pixabay. This was a Big Papa Rob podcast, 2023.